Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good Bishop. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. This is the second day of Christmas. Second day of the octave of Christmas, the Feast of St. Stephen. Yes. Do you have a, a prayer that you'd like to do for today? Well, first, Kyle, how was your Christmas? Delightful. Yeah. The kids? They loved it. They get so excited. Yeah. yeah the anticipation of Advent leading up to it. Yeah, uh, they're about ready to explode by the time Christmas is here. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. The, the real meaning of Christmas then. That's right. Yeah. Uh, good. You know, we have four masses for Christmas, which uh -huh. is really beautiful. There's the vigil mass. There's the mass at night, Christmas Eve. Then there's the mass at dawn. And then there's the mass during the day. Uh -huh. And um, each of them have their own prayers and readings. So they're beautiful reflections. And I love the prayer that we say at the Christmas dawn mass, which is early Christmas day. And I thought at the beginning of mass, the collect, the opening prayer of mass, and I thought that would be a good prayer for us to say today. Okay, great. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant, we pray, almighty God, that as we are bathed in the new radiance of your incarnate word, the light of faith, which illumines our minds, may also shine through in our deeds. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. The Christmas octave is here, and on this week's episode of Truth and Charity, Bishop reflects upon this eight-day Christmas celebration. Then it's on to today's Feast of St. Stephen, the church's first martyr. And while it may seem like a contradiction to celebrate a martyr's death during Christmas, Bishop shows the connection between the two, how the wood of the cradle leads to the wood of the cross. The show wraps up with Bishop answering questions submitted by listeners. To submit your question for a future show, just go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we are celebrating Christmas. Uh, it might seem a little weird for some people to think, no, Christmas is over. Christmas was yesterday. Today is uh, we're back to our regular lives, but this is something that uh, we do a little bit differently in the Catholic world than maybe the secular world, that they've been celebrating Christmas for a month or maybe two, <laughs> uh, but we just started celebrating. And so the Christmas day, as you mentioned, is an octave. So we celebrate for eight days the Christmas day, and then the season goes beyond that. Let's start with that, the, the day being an octave. Where does that come from? Why the number eight? Yeah, because Greek, the Greek word for eight is octo, and we uh -huh. get the word octave. And... The two greatest feasts of the liturgical year, the church's year, are Christmas and Easter. And the mysteries are so great that we just don't celebrate it in one day. Mm -hmm. We celebrate for eight days, the octave of Christmas. Even though in our surrounding culture, people are already taking down their Christmas decorations and their Christmas trees, we're just beginning. Right. We're still singing the Christmas carols, whereas, you know, in our wider culture, they're singing Christmas carols from Thanksgiving on. Right. Whereas now we start. And it's really a prolongation of our celebration of the birth of Jesus for eight days. And the octave then will end 
on January 1st, New Year's mm -hmm. Day, which is the solemnity of Mary, the mother of God. So during these eight days, they're very solemn. For example, we pray the Gloria at Mass every day of mm -hmm. the octave. You know, normally we just pray the Gloria on Sundays. Right. But during the octave of Christmas, just like during the octave of Easter, we sing the Gloria every day at Mass. There's also other things in the liturgy. If, if the priest uses Eucharistic Prayer 1, which is the Roman canon, there's a special insert that is prayed on Christmas and every day of the octave. Okay. If one prays the Liturgy of the Hours, one is praying the Psalms from Sunday week one every day huh. of the octave. So it's very interesting, the liturgical celebration. So really, every day of the octave is like a little Christmas. So I encourage people to go to Mass during the octave, yeah. if possible. It's great to go to Mass during those, those days of the octave of Christmas. Now, some people say, well, why eight days? Yeah. And that's a good question. I think the whole idea of the number eight number eight represents perfection and rest. Hmm. And even back in the celebration of Jewish feasts that we read about in the Old Testament, for example, a newborn boy, a Jewish boy, would be circumcised when? On the eighth day. Uh -huh. The Feast of Tabernacles. It would last for seven days and then would conclude with a solemnity on the eighth day. So, mm -hmm. so that was an octave. Also, when they had the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem, Solomon and the people, they celebrated for eight days. So it has kind of Jewish roots. And when you think about even the resurrection of Jesus, it was on the eighth day. Uh -huh. And that's why we consider Sundays on par with solemnities. So anyhow, it's a really neat custom. I think it's, it's the idea that the feast is so great that one day isn't enough. Yeah. Well, as we talk about this kind of transition from Advent to Christmas and to celebrate it and maybe to encourage others to do the same, I think there's maybe a balance between that and being obnoxious about it. Uh -huh. And so I thought this question from Cindy Black was a good one to maybe approach at this time. It seems that even faithful Catholics have gone to the way of the world and have Christmas parties and gatherings during Advent. What can we do to turn the tide and hold off our celebrations until during the Christmas season without seeming like we're judging or Scrooges? Oh, good question. I don't think we should not go to Christmas celebrations during Advent. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, if you have a, an office Christmas party or you have some kind of a Christmas celebration with friends or whatever... I would just try not to let it disturb your observance of Advent too uh -huh. much. You know, like maybe in your own home and your, your, and in your prayer life that you're really focusing on preparing the coming of the Lord and then celebrate in a bigger way when Christmas actually comes uh -huh. and, and during the octave of Christmas. But I wouldn't be of the opinion that we should just be so countercultural that we're refusing invitations to Christmas parties or something like that. I would just like, just try not to overdo it and try not to lose the, the spirit of Advent. Sure. Do you agree? Kyle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, we want to 
the fact that people are celebrating Christmas is a good thing in of itself. If it's slightly out of place, we can maybe understand how they're a little misguided, but it's not the the biggest deal to our faith. Right. And even in the home, you know, use the Advent wreath mm-hmm. and do Advent prayers and little things like don't put the baby Jesus in the manger until Christmas, right, you know? Right. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things you can do to say that we're anticipating the celebration of his birth. Yeah. And maybe, you know, if you're singing at home, maybe sing together as a family, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and mm-hmm. maybe wait to Christmas Eve to sing Joy to the World, you yeah. know? So there's there's things you can do, I'd say, in the family, in the home, just like in the church. In church, we're, we don't decorate for Christmas. We don't decorate our churches until Christmas. We, and during the season of Advent, it, they should still be pretty subdued and yeah. sober. If, if someone's putting up Christmas trees in the church beforehand because they have to, just don't decorate them until right. Christmas Eve. You know, right. That's my suggestion. Yeah. All right, so this is all great for next year to look ahead and to plan and think about. Uh, what about now that we're in the Christmas season, how do we continue to uh, celebrate Christmas and, again, not be too obnoxious to the people that have already thrown their trees to the curb and start yelling at them and <laughs> you know, putting protest signs out in front of their house or something like that? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, you can't control what other people do or how they're observing. Yeah. Um, I think we would just make sure that we continue to celebrate in the home. I wouldn't get rid of the Christmas trees until after the octave, uh-huh. maybe after Epiphany, actually. The 12 days of Christmas, you know, we talked about the eight days. Yeah. We also have the song about the 12 days of Christmas. Why 12 days? Because be- between December 25th and the traditional date of Epiphany, January 6th, it's it's 12 days. Uh-huh. You know what we need, Kyle? I just thought of this. We need a song, the eight days of Christmas. Okay. Would you compose one? Uh, sure. What, what are the eight days? <laughs> Do we, is there like a verse about St. Stephen? And then, that would be good. Okay. St. John, the Holy Innocents. That's uh-huh. a good idea. <laughs> Do I have to put it in symbolism? Well, if you so, do the like music part, I'll do the words. Okay. Okay. We'll wait, make a, and maybe we'll be a hit. Yeah. We'll see. For ne- like, we'll, we have a whole year to work on it for next year. Okay. Yeah. I'll just have to find the time. So do you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll find the time to do the music if you can come up with the words. <laughs> totally in for it. But you know, it's when we celebrate the octave of Christmas, and you know, you mentioned about how do we keep that spirit during the eight days. I do recommend trying to go to Mass during the octave. Mm-hmm. I think that helps. But, you know, when you look at the, there's some saints days, feast days during the octave that um, might seem a little disconnected from what we're celebrating, the birth of Jesus. But when you think about each of those feast days, like, well, the Holy Innocence, you can easily connect because it's connected to the Christmas story mm-hmm. and certainly the solemnity of Mary, Mother of God on, on um, January 1st. But, but you look at today. I mean, here we are the day after Christmas and we're celebrating the feast of a martyr. Right. St. Stephen. Seems like a little bit of a downer on our, <laughs> on our party. It does. And, but I, I think it calls for some deeper reflection you know, if you ever sing that song, Good King Wenceslas, uh-huh. it mentions the Feast of Stephen, doesn't it? Good King Wenceslas, look down <laughs> on the Feast of Stephen. Anyhow, okay. but it's the second day of the octave of Christmas. And, and it does seem like a contradiction because we've just celebrated 
the joy, the peace of Christ's birth, and we're still supposed to be doing that today. Mm -hmm. It's the second day of the octave. But at the same time, we're reflecting on the violent death of the first martyr of the church. Yeah. St. Stephen, we call him the proto-martyr, the first martyr. And that was the beginning of a very fierce persecution of the church. Even the gospel today is all about persecution. Mm -hmm. The first reading from Acts of the Apostles is the account of Stephen's martyrdom. So it seems like a, a contradiction. But I think if we look more deeply at the mystery of Christmas, we'll see this isn't really a contradiction. Because the child Jesus came as our Savior, and he would save us by dying on the cross. Mm -hmm. So Christ's death on the cross really is a reason for him coming into the world to save us. So mm -hmm. the I forget who said this, but the wood of the manger points to the wood of the cross. Mm -hmm. So today, when we think about St. Stephen and his martyrdom, we can be reminded of the purpose of the incarnation that Jesus came as our Savior. I always like, I don't know if you've seen Byzantine icons of the nativity. They're, um, you know, the Eastern Church. If you look at one of the icons of the nativity, the baby Jesus is wrapped very tightly in the swaddling clothes, in the linen cloths. And they do that purposely in Byzantine art to call to mind the wrapping of the body of Jesus after his crucifixion hmm. when he was put in the tomb. So Byzantine Catholics and Orthodox Christians in their art see this connection very vividly. And when you look at these Byzantine icons of the nativity, look closely at the manger. It's a kind of an altar hmm. or a tomb, it looks like. So again, these, this art, this Byzantine art indicates that Christ, our Redeemer, was born to die. Mm -hmm. He was born to give his life for us. Mm. He was born for our redemption. So when we think about the mystery of Christmas, it's a mystery of divine love, a mystery of divine mercy. God became man. It's the same mystery of divine love and mercy that we contemplate on Good Friday. The Son of God humbled himself and became a man. And as St. Paul says, he humbled himself accepting death, even death on a cross. So when you think about it this way, it's not that perplexing anymore why the church would celebrate her first martyr on the day after Christmas. And think about St. Stephen. He was stoned to death. Why? Because of his fidelity to Christ. Mm -hmm. And when he was killed, when he was martyred, he was born into heaven. Hmm. Because Jesus was born on earth, he could be born in heaven. By coming to earth, Jesus brought heaven to us. He opened for us the gates of heaven. I always think it's neat, too, that in the church's liturgical year, and, and this was very early on, the church would always celebrate the Feast of the Martyrs on the day of their death. 
and they would call that day of their their death mm-hmm. their dies natalis hmm. their birthday yeah their birthday it's the day of their definitive birth into heaven and we get the, the word nativity from that birth dies natalis so the latin word birthday Dias Natalis. And that's why we say nativity. That's why we say Navidad in Spanish, or we say Natale in Italian, the day of the birth of the Lord. And today we're celebrating the day of Stephen's birth into heaven. Mm-hmm. Another thing about that, the story of St. Stephen is he was stoned. And in the reading that you mentioned, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter seven, it said that the witnesses laid down their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. So this Saul would be the same one who becomes Paul. Correct. St. Paul. Correct. Have you seen the movie Paul apostle of Christ? The recent movie? Yeah. With Paul and Luke. Yes. Yes. And visiting him in prisons. Cause they, he continually shows that scene. He keeps having these like flashbacks yeah. to the stoning of St. Stephen and the idea of this dedicated and devout Christian kind of living with his past of this stoning and who knows what else he did during his lifetime. I think it was a very powerful part of that movie for me. Yeah, it was. I remember that. And um, we don't know for sure. It seems that Saul was observing what Uh was happening. I don't know that he actually threw stones Mm -hmm. uh, at the killing of Stephen, but he definitely approved of it. He was in favor of it. He was a pretty zealous Pharisee. He was part of persecuting Jesus through the persecution of his body, the church. So at the very least, he was a consenting observer at the martyrdom of Stephen. And I wonder if it had an effect on him other i mean in the movie we see how he looked back on it but i wonder even before his conversion i mean that he would see stephen and his fortitude Mm -hmm. and you know what did stephen pray when he was being stoned to death He, he prayed like jesus did he said lord jesus receive my spirit yeah like jesus said on the cross father into your hands i commend my spirit so I wonder if there was maybe in some way whether Saul was um, inspired by the faith of Stephen. Who knows? I thought about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It makes you think that maybe had there not been a Saint Stephen, there may not have been a Saint Paul. True. You know that his his virtue coming out at that time. Uh, the other thing he says after saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He said, Lord, do not hold the, the sin against them. Right. Uh, again, again, forgiving these people that are yeah. stoning him to death. Like Jesus said, father, yeah. forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. All right. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit more about today's gospel. And is it saying that we will be hated? We'll find out right here on truth and charity with Bishop Rhodes brought to you in part by Notre Dame federal credit union. 
Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we are taking a look at today's readings. We talked about the first reading in the stoning of St. Stephen, and then today in the gospel, it's Matthew chapter 10. It kind of talks about some of the struggles that Christians will go through, and it ends with, you will be hated by all because of my name, but whoever endures to the end will be saved. So my question is, is this to assume that all Christians, as he's speaking specifically to a specific group, or all Christians will be hated because of our faith? Well, Jesus was addressing this to the disciples uh-huh. at that time. So, and we know that there was uh, very early on the persecution of the church. But yet, I think he was also addressing the disciples in the centuries to come. Mm-hmm. Because all throughout the history of the church, there have been times of persecution. So I think the words that Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 10 are also meant for us. If we're going to be living the gospel, living the Beatitudes as faithful disciples of Christ, we should expect to experience rejection, ridicule, and even hatred sometimes. Now, maybe some people, Christians, will go through life and they'll have very little of that. Sure. You know, but others, like we can think of persecuted Christians today and even modern day martyrs, mm-hmm. like in the Middle East, there are actually people who are shedding their blood for Christ today, like mm-hmm. St. Stephen did. I think it's good today on the Feast of St. Stephen to remember them in our prayers, but also to remember our Lord's promise that we heard in the gospel that whoever endures to the end will be saved. Mm -hmm. So that's why, for example, the church will canonize martyrs without requiring a a second miracle. So this endurance to the end, to be faithful, and I think, you know, it's only with the grace of the Holy Spirit that one can endure. To have that fortitude in the midst of persecution. How inspiring it is when we read the lives of the martyrs. I mean, just think this past year, we had the canonization of Archbishop Oscar Romero Mm -hmm. and his courage in the way he preached against the, uh, the violence and the oppression of his people in El Salvador. He knew his life was at risk and he was hated. He was hated by the government officials yeah. and by members of the military. And, and eventually he was struck, struck down, uh, shot while he was celebrating Holy Mass. We think of those words of Jesus, whoever endures to the end will be saved. Mm-hmm. Oscar Romero endured to the end. We believe he's a saint. And, and we could give so many other examples of martyrs. But to think in our own lives, we may just have little persecutions, what we can call soft persecution for our faith. I mean, it's not too often that someone will physically harm us, although, you know, especially here in the United States, we're pretty safe. But, you know, I've heard priests getting spat upon. Hmm. I've heard of being cursed. Different things just for being Catholic, just for being or just for being a Catholic priest. Mm -hmm. But we should endure. We shouldn't return an insult when we're insulted. We shouldn't, we need to learn to turn the other cheek. But I think the bigger temptation is to not be faithful, to deny our faith. Mm -hmm. I say this to young people, you know, like to to forsake one's faith just to be popular, for example, or or not to be faithful for certain teach to certain 
teachings of the church because you might lose some friends because of it. Yeah. That's kind of the soft persecution. But the Lord calls us to endure, to be faithful, to have courage in living the gospel. And one of the things that Jesus says to his disciples is that you will be given at that moment what you are to say. Yeah. So this kind of encouragement, yes, it's going to be difficult, but there's also some guidance that goes along with it. We're not alone, that that we will be with the Holy Spirit, obviously, but then also we have the presence of Jesus through the Eucharist that will give us strength in those times of trial. Exactly. I think, how do you get through such trials unless you're close to the Lord? You know, it's we certainly have to open ourselves to His grace but also to know of his love, mm-hmm. to know that he is beside us, that he's with us when we have to carry the cross. I think if we don't have that, we can be crushed. Yeah. All right. Well, if you have a question for Bishop, you can ask it by going to redeemerradio.com slash askbishop. You could always call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260 436 95 98. And coming up, we'll take questions from you, the listener, like questions about evolution, the offspring of Adam and Eve. All that's coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, asking questions that you've sent in for Bishop to answer. Jason Wardwell from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish in Fort Wayne says... My understanding is that it's okay for Catholics to believe in evolution as long as they believe that evolution was the work of God. I also understand that the church teaches that Adam and Eve were actual people who lived, not just fictional characters used to tell a story. If these things are both true, would it be conceivable that Adam and Eve lived within a community of quasi-human creatures, but were infused by God with the first two human souls? It would then follow that their offspring were human as well, correct? What if their human offspring then mated with non-humans of the opposite sex and reproduced? Would their offspring in turn be human with only one parent being human? Does the church have a position on this part? Thanks, Bishop, for all you do. And sorry for the long question. (laughs) Jason, I think that's one of the most difficult questions or series of questions that I've I've received here on Redeemer Radio. Uh, I think I would only want to give a preliminary introductory answer to that question because it gets into issues of the relationship between faith and science, faith and reason, that is going to take me more time. Um, Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, it'd be great if we could get a like a molecular biologist here on the show to talk about it. But I would like to, um, to come back to it, but because, you know, some of these questions came to my mind when I was on the CRS trip to Ethiopia Hmm. and I visited the museum that houses the bones of Lucy, who is thought to be the first remains of, of a human being that had gone from that, stage of being, if I'm not mistaken, homo erectus to, to homo sapiens. Okay. But, but I remember brought all kinds of questions to my mind about Adam and Eve and, uh-huh. you know, and as I was looking at her and, and fossils of other humans. But anyhow, it's, I'm not a scientist, but I would like to come back to it. But, I, but let me just, by way of introduction, 
talk a little bit about these first chapters of the book of Genesis, where we read about the creation of the universe, and we read about the creation of Adam and Eve, and we read about original sin. There are some people who will say, oh, this is all just myth. Mm -hmm. And by myth, they usually mean it's like a fairy tale, like uh-huh. it's it's a fantasy, yeah, just a figment of of someone's imagination or a group's imagination. But I think that's not correct because I don't think we could speak of the these biblical texts as just a myth or just something of one's imagination, okay. because if it's a because. Now, if you take another understanding of what the word myth means, it would be okay, but but not in that popular way of understanding myth as something that is just something um, that's a figment of one's imagination. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like one extreme. So the church doesn't follow that extreme. The other extreme, the other end, is what we would call fundamentalism or the literalism way of thinking. Mm-hmm. We have fundamentalists, and they believe in in creationism. In this school of thought, they believe that everything in the Bible is strict history, and it should be taken exactly as it appears, and that it even in in the area of science. So creationists believe that God created the world in six days, just as the book of Genesis recounts. They would rule out any idea of evolution, And the church doesn't insist on that. The church, again, that would be seen as another extreme. So, so our position as Catholics, and I, we always see the compatibility of faith and reason, faith and science. Mm -hmm. So, what's a proper approach to these stories of creation? Official Catholic teaching, and I think the best scholarship that we have, will say that these first chapters of Genesis are symbolic narratives that communicate divinely inspired truths. Okay. Okay, so it's not mere myth. Mm -hmm. A mere myth wouldn't have any truth. And it's not biblical fundamentalism. Rather, these are symbolic narratives that communicate divinely inspired truths. Uh So they're not just figments of some writer's imagination. The Holy Spirit's at work here. The Holy Spirit was inspiring the authors of Genesis. So, when we look at questions like Jason presented, we have to keep this in mind. What's a Catholic understanding of the story of creation? It's not what we would call a a description like we would have from biology or from physics. Mm -hmm. It's not a science book. These biblical creation narratives represent another way of speaking about reality, different than the one we're familiar with when we talk in scientific ways. Mm -hmm. So there is a truth being communicated in these stories that are presented in as symbols do. Uh, We get deeper insight into reality, for example, when we look at a stained glass window beautiful stained glass window and we see with the sun shining in the effect of light and the figures that it portrays i think that's kind of like the stories in the book of genesis Mm -hmm. 
these are divinely inspired narratives, symbolic narratives that are communicating to us reliable truth about the origins of the world and, for example, the truth that God is the creator, that he created out of nothing, that the summit of his creation was the creation of man and woman in his image and likeness, that sin entered the world not from God, but on, because of the free choice of human beings. So these are some of the truths communicated to us symbolically in these creation narratives. Now, we then have to get to the questions that Jason asked about, for example, were Adam and Eve actual historical persons? Uh-huh. Did all human beings descend from one set of human parents? That view is called, uh, you may have heard this term, monogenism. Hmm. Monogenism. The other view, which would be that there would be many or multiple original humans, is polygenism. Okay. Okay. So, and you have to look at what does science say about this. Uh-huh. And that's where I want to, on another show, kind of get into this a little bit more with you. Because I know scientists will talk about, some scientists about human beings, ancient, ancient humans in various parts of the world. I think the consensus now is more that there was a common origin in Southern Africa. Okay. Um, but science is also developing in this area. And I think we have to be careful not to preempt scientific discoveries. Yeah. I think we have to respect the proper realm of science. The truths that we're talking about, though, go beyond what is empirical science. Mm-hmm. They get to truths that cannot be empirically proven by the scientific method. So there are questions that, that science leaves open. But anyhow, these questions, I, I hope you understand about Adam and Eve being actual people, etc., and even getting into specific things about their human offspring mating with non-humans. Uh-huh. Let's talk about that. I, I think it's a very interesting field, but yeah. but I really don't think we have time in this show. And I would like to get some of, maybe talk to one of our science professors to get updated a little bit on the scientific information. But one thing that's great about being Catholic, Kyle, is I love the fact that we're not fundamentalists. So I don't have, I don't live like a schizophrenic existence where... I'm believing things that are in my faith that are contrary to science. Uh I mean, we think of St. Thomas Aquinas and this great respect for human reason, faith and reason go together and shouldn't be seen as oppositional. All right. Uh, Just to clarify on his first question there about the idea of evolution being a potential means of creation uh but yes we we would say that god was in control of that exactly right exactly and yes because when you look at the process of evolution over the course of of millions of years even actually billions of years Uh we have scientific evidence uh, for evolution and therefore we don't take the six days of creation literally it would go against science and it wasn't God's intention for us to take it literally. Sure. The truths he was committed, com- communicating to us 
in the stories of creation were that God is the creator out of nothing, etc. And the human authors at that time would ha not have had knowledge, the scientific knowledge that we have today. Mm -hmm. So yes, I mean, you can read Pope St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI. They both have written about evolution mm -hmm. and um, that yes, Catholics can certainly believe in evolution. Where it becomes an issue that one has to be a little careful, or very careful, I should say, is when it gets to human beings. Mm -hmm. That there was a certain point where God infused a soul. Yeah. And again, that gets further on to the other questions yeah, about yeah. Uh, the first parents, Adam and Eve, or were there many? And we'll get to that. Okay, great. I'll look forward to that. We'll definitely put that on the agenda for a future episode of Truth and Charity. Uh, moving on with our questions, one of our listeners said, would like to know about Father Chad Ripperger. We had never heard of him and would like your opinion. Hard to believe he has done so many exorcisms and approved by the Catholic Church beliefs. Thank you so much. Oh, listen, I'm sorry to, for this listener, but I don't know that Father Chad. Okay. Uh, I presume from the question, he's a well-known exorcist, but, but I honestly have not read about him, so I can't really help. Yeah. I wasn't familiar with him either, but well, maybe one of the other listeners knows and can call in or sure. Yeah, sure. Let us know. Maybe I'll do some research as well. Uh, if you have any questions, you can ask them by going to redeemerradio.com slash ask Bishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we'll find out if Bishop has any godchildren and who attends a bishop's installation mass. Also, it's time for Bishop and I put a wager on the Cupertino Classic, which is happening tomorrow. That's all coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, asking the questions that you've submitted for Bishop to answer. Someone asked, does Bishop have any godchildren, or is he the sponsor for any confirmed Catholics? Thank you. Yes, I do have godchildren. Let me try to add them up. <laughs> um, okay, there's my nephew. There's one, a cousin, a cousin's son. That's two. Another friend's child, three, four, five, six. I have six. Off the top of my head, uh -huh. I have six godchildren. Uh-huh. And I have many people who I have sponsored for confirmation, but I really don't have that number. But I've been a sponsor for confirmation a number of times. Okay. Any suggestions for us who are confirmation sponsors or God parents? Pray for your God children. I, that's one thing I do. I also try to remember them with a little gift at Christmas and on their birthdays. Yeah, I try to keep a good relationship with them. It's a little harder if they live far away, which is in my case, the ones that I'm godfather for sure. live kind of far away. But but I do try to stay in touch. Yeah, I think if you're close, you can have more of an, an influence or a role in their upbringing in the faith, mm -hmm. which is really what a godparent is all about. Right. And helping the parents in their uh, fulfilling their obligations in raising the children in the faith. Yeah. All right. Rosie Cook from St. Vincent de Paul Parish in Fort Wayne asked, when a bishop is newly installed in a diocese, how is it determined which bishops, cardinals, or archbishops attend the installation? 
all the bishops, cardinals, and archbishops are invited. I mean, that's the typical oh, thing. Oh, really? Yeah. At least in the United States. Yeah. I'm talking about in our country, sure, not sure. in the world, uh-huh. <laughs> in our country. So who comes, who comes, you know? Okay. But I think it's kind of, um, I don't know if you call it uh, pro- a proper custom or etiquette that uh, all the bishops of the country are invited. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you remember who all was here for your installation? You know, I don't. I don't. I, I was, well, when I was ordained, that was in Harrisburg. When I was installed here, that was January 10th, 2010. Bishop uh, there Darcy were a was number here. of bishops, but I don't remember. Okay. I mean, I remember in my ordination, there were three principal bishops who did the actual ordination. Okay. Uh, Cardinal Justin Regali, who was our Metropolitan Archbishop of Philadelphia, was the main bishop who ordained me a bishop okay but uh i'd have to see if they even have a guest list on who came yeah i mean it was kind of those days were such big days it's kind of a blur to me yeah all right well tomorrow is the annual cupertino classic it starts at 6 30 p.m at bishop dwanger high school for those that aren't familiar this is a game of basketball between our, some of our seminarians and some of our diocesan priests it's always a, a fun event for the whole family you know bring your friends bring your family come to it again 6 30 p.m tomorrow that's uh, December 27th at Bishop Dwanger High School. And last year, we put a little wager on the game. I would th- wondered if you were up for that again this year. Sure. You know, and last year was the first year that our seminarians won. And, right. And, of course, I won the that, bet that because is who I was you, rooting yeah. for the yep. underdog. And the seminarians were the underdogs, so I rooted for them. And it was a really close game. But I was really happy. They finally won. And then I thought, well, should I really be taking sides between Uh my priests and my seminarians? But this year, I have to confess, I'm still rooting for the seminarians because I think they're still a little bit the underdogs. Now, if they win again this year, then I don't think they're going to be underdogs anymore. No, then it's just a fair fight. That's right. But you know what? Some of these seminarians that are good at basketball are getting ordained priests. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had five of them last year. Yeah, exactly. So switch sides. So when when I'm I call them traitors. Yes. Yeah, so so when I'm classic. trying to recruit for new seminarians, I'm looking for good <laughs> basketball players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I thought if you're up for it, uh, if you're going to take the the side of the seminarians, then if they win, what I would like to offer as uh, my my punishment, my penance, whatever. Actually, yes. I'm kind of looking forward to this potential a little bit is for the ordination mass for we'll have three seminarians ordained to the priesthood they're deacons now and i thought we'd do a special episode of truth and charity where i kind of do some behind the scenes and interview the the deacons interview parents and maybe some family and stuff either before the mass or after the mass and kind of get a little bit of a a different perspective of the ordination as sure. a, as if that's if the, the seminarians win. And then if the priests win, so I'll take the priest side, then you would read a Christmas story to my children and any other children that would be listening as well. That sounds 
I would enjoy that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's good. So it's, it's kind of like, it's not too much of a punishment to lose. No. Uh, but no. It, it's a fun game. And so we'll see who wins. Uh, we'll give an update next week yeah. on Truth and Charity. But definitely encourage people to go out and support our seminarians, support our priests, have some fun, make some signs. There's always a lot of festivities. Uh, it will be broadcast on Redeemer Radio for those that aren't able to make it. Uh, but if you're listening in the South Bend area, it's well worth the drive. I did it last year with my kids. We drove up to South Bend and they loved it. And uh, we'll definitely be bringing the, our our crew to uh, Bishop Dwinger this year. Good. I hope a lot of people attend. We always get a good crowd, but yeah. it is a lot of fun. I wish I could be there. I'll be with my family, but maybe I could catch it on Redeemer Radio from Pennsylvania. Do you, you can extend that far? You can stream it through the website or the app either way. Oh, you can, okay. You can listen live anytime, anywhere. Great. Yeah. So also mention that it's free. So no excuse to, to be there if you're able to make it. So. Although they, they do take up a collection, right? Sure. Kyle? Yeah, for the, to help for our, the, the education fund, yeah. for our seminarians. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Just want to re- remind the listeners yeah, of that. So you can bring, you can bring your checkbook. <laughs> yeah. And uh, large sums of cash as well <laughs> will be accepted. Well, could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Bishop. Join us next week for another new episode of Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Credit Union.